Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world, you are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Nahum Klegman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach. Welcome to episode 32 of the From Entrepreneur, and I have a very special guest today, Shmuel Weffer. Shmuel has been a longtime friend and a longtime entrepreneur. Maybe you don't know him, but you definitely have heard of some of his products, and I'm super excited to have Shmuel join us today. Shmuel, thank you so much for coming. I, you know, I'm, I've been wanting to do this you know, for, since early on, so uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Well, it's great to be here, and most of our relationship has been virtual, so I wanted to make sure when we were going to do this, I'd physically be here with you in, Ramah, in Beit Shemesh, and it's great to be here. Thanks. That's great. So where do you live so that just people know? Uh... Today, we live in Yavnel, which is up in the Galilee just southwest of Tiberia. It's basically cottage vacation country, and it's it's unbelievable. It's really a pleasure to be up there. So when, when we talk about uh, your villa, we're gonna we'll get we'll dig in a little bit deeper into that. So first of all, I mean I'll just lead off that Shmuel is the uh, co-founder of Kosher Innovations. As you guys may have heard, the Shabbos lamp. We're gonna get into that story. A lot of great stuff going on with uh, Shmuel. So, but you know, before we dig in, I just want to get a little deeper. Like, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? How'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? I know you're involved heavily in Aish. So let, let let's do that. I'm uh, originally from Toronto. I grew up there. I went to university at the University. Of Waterloo and my uh, in terms of my secular education, my background's in math and computer science. I have a degree in mathematics, major in computer science and business. And uh, I worked for many years as a management consultant in uh, Canada, not many, a number of years. I spent a year here in Israel. Actually, I was on the Woodges program way back when. It was a one-year work-study program. And Were we I, talking uh, 80s, 1978. <laughs> <nine>. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I go way back in the yeah. computer business. Uh, I started out in, uh, first computer was an IBM 360. The millennials don't know that IBM was in the computer business, actually. <laughs> right. With key punches at university. And actually, this phone I have here, uh, we had a Honeywell 3000 in our computer. In our, oh, that thing was huge. It was huge. It had three megabytes of main memory. <laughs> it was a $3 million machine, but could handle 100 terminals. But my OnePlus 2 phone here is uh, probably 10, 20 times more, more powerful. powerful than that Incredible. $3 million machine. <laughs> so uh, I started out in computers. Uh, in Israel, I spent the year in Israel. I worked in um, Tirat Carmel up near Haifa, which is the high-tech center. I worked there at Elsint doing research and development in um, developing nuclear medical equipment. Ooh. It was kind of interesting. This is <laughs> way back with the startup nation. Wow. I remember uh, the, they had a nuclear gamma camera that would... Um, it was based on a mini computer, a digital equipment corporation mini computer. And some people may not know that at one point DEC was the biggest computer company in the world. It doesn't exist anymore. But uh, they were going to convert it to a micro processor, a microcomputer, which had just started happening. And my first job there was to actually write a word processor for the Intel 8086 chip because it had just come out and there was no software for it. It had a line editor if there's any computer people there. So I actually wrote a word processor for what was ultimately to become the IBM PC. Wow, and this just to people should know this would be pre-Microsoft. Uh, it was not around, around the same time. Around the same time. Yeah. 
But yeah. we were the first processor, word processor. Or? I had to write. Uh, we had to write computer programs for this chip because there was there was no, was, there, there was no, no system. system software that Intel really provided, other than a clunky line editor. So we had to write tools in order to be able to write our programs for it. So wow. that was way back when, startup nation. Uh, <laughs> any rate, I I worked in the computer business in Canada. After that, in a consulting firm management consulting firm and uh as a young adult working as a single person to make a long story short uh, asia Tora opened up in 1981 in toronto i was basically one of the first if not the first student Does there baruch rabinowitz opened that or baruch rabinowitz was there and your your rebbe uh, rabbi pinchas winston was Psh, one of my wow. friends in chavrusas we were there at the same time oh amazing and actually uh, i'll continue i'll mention pinchas in a, in a little bit excellent at any rate i um Long story short, I became Shomer Torah Mitzvahs in Toronto during the course of that first year. I got very active as a lay leader, young lay leader. I met my wife, who was another student there studying. We got engaged, got married. That was all like busy year <laughs> and uh, made Aliyah six months later. Oh, wow. Yeah, my wife came cold turkey. I'd lived here for a year. And I worked here. I was fluent in Hebrew by that point. And she had never been to Israel. And she, she decided she was going to come. Wait, the here. first time she, she came to Israel was on Aliyah? Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Special woman. Wow. She's adventurous. You have to be adventurous to be married to an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. So, uh, so um, we, we, uh, when we landed here, we went to Olpan in Arad. And Just what year was this when, it, when you made Aliyah? 83. 83. 1983. We arrived. I took her to Olpan to Arad. We spent the first two and a half months there. We were supposed to be there for five months. And the senior partner from my consulting firm in Canada came on a visit and he looked me up. And he was the senior computer guy in Canada at the point. He built the first commercial computer in Canada, the air booking system for Air Canada. Anyways, he came here and he said he's got some friends in Yerushalayim and they have a business. They were the official Apple and IBM dealership in uh Jerusalem, and they were expanding to Tel Aviv, and they said, come meet these guys. They're looking for somebody to help them out. Wow. So we came up, and uh, I, there were no computer jobs in Jerusalem in those days, uh, in the early 80s. It was in either in Haifa or Tel Aviv. And uh, we were all planning on going up to Haifa, and the Hashkacha was. I got invited to this meeting in Jerusalem. Two weeks later, we were living in Jerusalem. I'm running uh, the official <laughs> IBM and Apple dealership in, uh, in Jerusalem. Wow. Wow, this, this a is crazy great, story. Uh, that is, I mean, this is great uh, computer history of Israel. Also, I mean, Apple back then. What was what were they, that was the Apple II. Yep, the Apple two E. Two E. And uh, so we were selling apples, and were we, people buying? Like, did it was how oh, was? Yeah. I mean, now obviously Israel is very high tech. Everyone has a computer, but back then it. People were into it or? It was just starting. There were the people that were coming in, you know, the, um, I want a computer for my son. And there were people like that. There were people finding an excuse to buy one because they wanted to play with it. It was right. a lot of money back then. Yeah, sure. A lot of money. And uh, so we were selling to business clients primarily, word processing systems. That was when VisiCalc came out. When Apple came out with VisiCalc, software spreadsheet, the first spreadsheet, then it became a business tool. So we were selling basically basically uh, spreadsheet systems. And then the IBM PC came out and we uh, we were selling those. And then actually I had one of my claims to fame is uh, I sold the first Macintosh in, in Israel. Israel. Yeah. Wow. That was one of my claims to fame. We announced that there was a show in Tel Aviv and I had uh, a manager of one of the main hotels in Jerusalem come in one day and say, my son's having a bar mitzvah. I want to, he's in Hebrew, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, my 
son's having a bar mitzvah. I want to buy him the best computer there is. So he said, you know what? I, I, I had already known about the Apple Lisa. The Lisa came out right. first. And we had bought one as, a, as the consulting firm in Canada before I made Aliyah. And it was announced here we had one in the showroom, but the Macintosh had not come out yet. So I said, listen, this thing's been announced. He said, I said, if you want to see it before you buy it, you have to come with me to this uh, conference and show in Tel Aviv. He met me there and I took the order. So before we even had them here, he, wow. he bought it. Do you remember what it went for back then? Uh, it was a lot of money. It was long, a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, that was when hyperinflation was going on in those days. So right. it's hard to tell you how many shkalim it was. But it was at least double what it was in uh, in America. But uh, Like but, everything, still yeah. today. <laughs> so in those days in Jerusalem, I was married. And a lot of Aish guys from Aish Toronto, a lot of people had come that first year to come and study. And it's a who's who's list of Kiruv today. Right. And they came to study and they were Bacharim. And our house used to be the sort of expatriate Toronto hangout couch, you know? and uh, Couch surfing before that became uh, famous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the guys used to come and hang out. And uh, actually, I used to have a tag with Reb Pinchas Winston. He used to come over once a week. He'd have dinner. And the condition was he'd, we'd learn together. And that's how he started. And he was telling me about his uh, Jewish history research he was doing at that time, the unbroken chain of Jewish tradition. And he's showing me, like, on the back of a piece of paper, napkin, like his whole idea of graphic representation of history. I said, you know, computer can really do something about that. He <laughs> said, really? Yeah. So come. And I brought him into the showroom where we had the Lisa and it was the first graphical system before the Macintosh came out. Right. And we designed the whole timeline and that was his first book was, was a wow. result of that. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I know Robert Woodson, he taught in the Vey for a little bit and obviously right. in the Vey Yushalayim. Right. And, we, and you and I have another connection because you're Mechotanin Rabbi Siner. Right. It's also a Rebbe of mine back in the Vey in uh, 1990, right. 1991. Right. So that's incredible. He's, he's an incredible Rav, incredible person. Okay so, so, okay, so we go from the computer business. Now, how do we get from computer business to kosher innovations? But well, first, hey, how did I become a rabbi? Oh, you, you know, I was a business guy, right? <laughs> right. So I had a, like a 21-year period there where I wasn't in business anymore. Oh, you just, you just stopped with computers? Well, what just... happened was I, I, I was coaching all of the Aish guys. They'd come and when they were doing their programs, whether an outreach program or whatever it happened to be, marketing, they would come and I'd give them advice. And then after a couple of years, uh, Rev Noach, the Rosh Hashiva, sent, sent somebody to basically ask me, to would I be willing to work at Aish full time? Oh, wow. And that was a big decision <laughs> because, you know... I had to decide, you know, going to work from business and going to work for a nonprofit, you're basically putting a ceiling on your on your income. Right. It's a whole different world. And my wife and I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And we made Aliyah for idealistic reasons. And uh, being a from Balchuva, pretty new in the business world in Jerusalem, even Jerusalem was kind of, it was tough. Meaning I was the, I was the rabbi and like, we got to sell the soup mix in the <laughs> in the store and people are looking at me what are you talking about it's like you know wow. we're lighting candles in the showroom in uh binyan klal and all those store owners would come and here i saw an opportunity you know at the even at the coffee machine in the office at asha torah it was gonna it was gonna be such a spiritual growth experience for me and i you know imagine right. i was at the with rav yitzhak berkowitz and rav Zelik Pliskin and all these people just 
Wow. Hanging out, you know, getting right. a cup of coffee in the offices. So that was a tremendous opportunity and we saw it. And uh, so we decided to do it. And what did you do there? You were a Rebbe there? Or? Well, at the beginning, I was coming from the business world and most of the other fellas were just coming up through the system. And basically, I automated the entire office. Oh, wow. Uh, we set up a computer network. I set up email before people knew what email was all <laughs> about and cut the fax bills. The faxes were going back and forth, thousands of dollars. Wow. And we set up uh, email and automated all the fundraising systems. And I did a lot of that. And then I started moving into outreach and help promoting the outreach. And... Uh, Eventually, when the Gvirim used to come and they'd want to learn a little bit, I'd get drafted. And then I basically went to the Rosh Hashiva. I said, why don't we set up a program, a Kiruv program for executives? And that became the Executive Learning Center. Oh, wow. And uh, I said to the Rosh Hashiva, I said, there's no monopoly on Kiruv in 19 to 25-year-olds, you know? Right. You just have to learn how to speak to 40, 50, 60, 70-year-olds differently. But they're just as interested. You just have to have a different environment. Sure. And uh, in those days, nobody looked at it that way. And um, so that's what I did. And pretty soon... These were executives that were coming on Israel trips and you would... They, they were on vacation. Maybe they were donors. I want to drop by and see, you know, we don't normally do a dog and pony show for them. And I said, why not let them experience it? So right. instead of putting them in a room full of 19, 20-year-olds and let them feel sort of silly and ignorant, I said, let's take them into a nice room, give them a cup of coffee with a plant over here, give them a text one-on-one, -on -one, let's learn together. Wow. And uh, because as a management consultant, especially in those early days, you know, when you're trying to get a CEO to put a PC, a personal computer on his desk, right. he doesn't want to look stupid. Right. <laughs> so we had as 20-somethings, we had to learn how to empower and explain abstract ideas and get people up to speed with difficult abstract concepts without them feeling stupid. Right. That's what I did in the computer industry. So I just took those skills and transferred them into Kiruv. Amazing. And uh, so eventually I got so much involved in teaching that I ended up becoming a rabbi. Beautiful. You got smicha through Eish. Got smicha through Eish and uh, went right after that. There was a lot of requests and we ended up going to Toronto to help uh, build the village shul community there. And I was there for eight years with my family. So this is when? This is 19... 19... We left. We were here for 13 years in Jerusalem working with Eish. Right. Then we went in 1998 to Toronto, Toronto. and I was with Eish Toronto for eight years. Great. Before wow. we left. Amazing. So then how did how did Kosher Innovations come into, into play? So, so what happened was that uh, while I was working full-time at Aish, you, we had six kids, Pliyan Hara, still do, thank God. And uh, when you're in Kiruv, it can be all-consuming, and you don't want the kids to feel they're being left out. So I had my Palm Pilot. In those days, it was a Palm Pilot. Sure. And what I would do is with each one of the kids, I would schedule them in with a weekly appointment, just like I would anybody else. So they'd feel they're just as important important as anybody else. And each one of our children had a weekly slot for an hour or two in, in my Palm Pilot. And each one of them could decide what did they want to do with that time. Amazing. That's so great. I used to do that. A lot of people, I mean, I think that's an important lesson because as entrepreneurs, we're always busy. And we always say, okay, we're going to give time for kids. We'll give time for kids. But what you do, it sounds like a little bit, oh, you have to give your kids an appointment. But yeah, sometimes if you don't take that action, you don't do that. It's just not going to happen. Right. Especially on a consistent basis. So right. uh, I think it's a fantastic. So uh, yeah. So one of my sons, he liked to do projects. So he said, okay, it was Sunday morning. He had Sunday mornings. And I said, so what are we going to do? He said, I don't know. What are we going to do? So 
my wife gave birth to our first child 31 years ago in Shari Tzedek Hospital. And it was a Shabbos. And above each bed, they had a big box with doors in it, right. a fluorescent tube in there. And you could open or close the door on <laughs> Shabbos because it's a Shomer Shabbos hospital. Right. And for years, I guess it must have been 20 years, she would say, can you make me one of those? Can you put one of those <laughs> in the bedroom? I never got around to because so big and clunky. So I said to my son, Shalom, why don't we make Ima one of those lamps and uh, we'll make her a, a lamp for Shabbat. And uh, but we'll instead of I don't want to bolt it to the wall and let's figure, see if we can figure out how to do it on the night table. Freestanding lamp. Wow. So we went to Home Depot and uh, up and down the aisles trying to get ideas <laughs> how we're going to do this. Bought all these different parts and uh, it started out, I got a, a laundry vent, you know, a dryer vent, air dryer that goes outside and it's like yeah. a louver thing that opens and closes. Yeah. Some styrofoam we got, some lamp parts, put it all together and open up the blinds, close the blinds. It worked. Huh. Amazing. Do you still have this proto uh, prototype? That was long gone. It that was made out gone. of styrofoam. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't so great. And it wasn't so halachically, you know. Oh, it wasn't the... It wasn't the greatest. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be Yotzi all the shitas. Uh -huh. It wouldn't be all, all the opinions. So, uh, But all of a sudden, everybody wanted one. Kids wanted one. This one wanted one. It's like, everybody wants one. Okay, that's interesting. And then uh, what happened was, so let's try and make a better model. Did that. And I saw, you know, there's something going on here. And I said, I happened to have one of my congregants in at the Village Chill in Toronto, Lou, uh, was in the lamp business. Oh, wow. So I just said to him, I said, hey, Lou, you know, I'm a full-time rabbi. I got this idea. Everybody wants one. I think it'd be a fun project to do. You've got the connections in China. You make lamps, bring your lamps into the country. If you want, we could do it as a we'll partner on this project. He said, fine. Wow. And uh, that's began the whole process of developing a prototype. And because he had a lot of goodwill in China with the factories, right. what would cost somebody a lot of money to develop a prototype, really uh, the factory was willing to to help us and work with us. Wow. And invest in bringing the prototype to market. And uh, one of my other sons was into 3D graphics. And today he's somebody you definitely have to interview. He and Micah Smith, my son, Ellie Vaffer, oh, yeah, sure. they're shoot east. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, they're, the they're doing amazing the things. Yeah, so he was already videos. at that time as a young teenager into 3D graphics. And we designed the whole kosher lamp in uh, 3D and sent off the 3D drawings off to China. And they came back with the prototypes. And we, we went through a lot of different prototypes. Right. And I think this is something in terms of an entrepreneur, you always have to, uh, the first, don't don't expect to get it right the first time. <laughs> right. And the, the early ones were more boxy and were big. And I said, this is really not going to work, especially in Israel, because it's taken up too much real estate on mm. your night table. In Israel, we have very little usually, unless you live up in Yavno, where we are, you get a little bit more real estate up there for your money. Right. But uh, it was bothering me. And uh, it was clunky. We had boxes opening up with mirrors. There were different prototypes we came up with. And in our shul there, it's in a wealthy neighborhood. And when, when people would come in Toronto, in Forest Hill, and when people would come for Shabbat, they'd bring a bottle of wine. But often they'd bring a nice bottle of scotch right. as well. <laughs> so I was sitting in my home office uh, thinking about this problem. 
And I looked over on the shelf, and there was a uh, cylinder of Lagavulin wow. and another one of Glenlivet, two cardboard <laughs> tubes. And I said, that's it. Wow. And I opened up, I took out the bottles of whiskey, I took out an X-Acto knife, I cut the two holes in the two cardboard cylinders, put a light in it, twisted it, and that was it. Wow. That was the kosher lamp. Wow. What fantastic. So then you took this prototype, you took this idea. And my son did the 3D, the drawings. The 3D drawings, we changed it a little bit, sent and it to sent China, it off, got the came back. Yeah. And, and then how, we had it. And how was the initial market reaction? Like how did, uh, did you order, how many did you order right in the first, you know, the first batch? How'd you get in stores? How did, uh, how did that all work? I want to talk about olive oil. We'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to the olive oil for sure. Uh, it's a long story. We, we, I had a prototype. I created a website. Uh, we did the magic. We got the prototypes and I did the little uh, spinning of the hand and watching the magic is very en- entrancing. Right. And um, so I set that up and I had to get all the uh, hashkachas. I had to get all the rabbinical endorsements. So I got the Marad Asra in Toronto, which was great, Rishlomo Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got very big shoulders in the halacha community, which was fine. But the Americans didn't really know who he was at the time. Right. We went to an AJOP conference to show the prototypes just to see what the reaction was going to be from the rabbis. And just everything exploded from there. It was really... They just uh, all loved it. And- yeah, there were a few rabbis who were there, gave their haskama, and so we were good to go. And I, I got pre-orders from a lot of the Kirov rabbis. They all wanted them. And uh, from that point, as we pre-sold a lot of them before we even placed our first order. And this order. before Kickstarter, so you didn't really have... Uh, I, I, it was you, a private Kickstarter campaign. Private, right. <laughs> so we, I had all these pre-orders. I think I might have had 700 pre-orders before wow. we even put in the first order. Wow, amazing. And then there was a lot of hashkacha. Somebody approached us. He wanted to represent us in America, be a distributor. We made a deal and uh, the first container was bought before we even ordered it. Wow. So thank God. Wow. I mean, it's, and it's such an incredible innovation. I know it's helped, you know, we use it. Obviously, I think everybody I know uses it at some point. It's just such a fantastic use of uh, technology that, that really makes your shop is better. It's just, uh, right. it's really a fantastic products of Cola Cavode. So that was just, uh, that was what we did as a project. Then eventually, a while later, when we left Aish, I had to decide what am I going to do now? And I had the product. It had made some money. Thank God. Helped pay for our first wedding. Right. And, I said, well, maybe there's a business here. You can't make a a business out of one product, really. So I said, maybe there's a business here and put in some effort, give it some time to see if there's a, there's a business here. And uh, came up with all these other ideas. The second invention was the clock, right? The, the Shabbos the, clock, the, the, which had the uh, multiple alarms. And then we took a trip to China. Which was a lot of fun. Who's we? My partner, Lou and I. Lou and I, okay. And we went to China, had a few other ideas just to see what was being presented there. We wanted to visit our factory as well. And uh, that's when I came up with the idea for the Shabbos toothbrush and the bug checker. It was... A lot of fun. It was a big, <laughs> busy few years. And from that, we were able to uh, set up a company, Kosher Innovations. Amazing. But then you, you ended up leaving the company to make Aliyah again. Right. We, we always saw going back to Canada as a temporary thing. Right. It ended up being longer than we had hoped. It right. was ended up being 11 years. And what happened was when our youngest graduated from high school, then that was the opportunity to leave. We didn't want to really leave until she had finished high school. So she actually figured this out. 
out and finished high school a year early because she wanted to come back. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, and then when it came time to come back, it was really in those days, it wasn't going to work split with, with my partner there and us here. It had to either all come here or all stay there. And then eventually we worked out a deal where it all stayed there uh, and we were going to build uh, a new adventure, new chapter. So, okay. So uh, Lou, Lou takes over Kosher Innovations. You moved back to Israel and you didn't, you were in Beit Shemesh for a little while, right? Yeah. We came to Beit Shemesh at the beginning and wasn't, we were there because we were there. Originally, we started in Harnoff and we sold that apartment like a lot of people did when we made our first wedding. Right. And bought something else in, in uh, Beit Shemesh. Right. Even though we weren't living here at the time, we wanted to keep our foothold in Israel. Mm-hmm. So it was the best place to invest at the time in 1998. Sure. And uh, so we rented it out while we were in Toronto. And uh, when we came back, that's where we started. And we were there for about only six months. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was about it. And then where'd, then where'd you go? Well, what happened was we decided we didn't really want to be there in that particular neighborhood where we were. And my son-in-law had been the distributor for Kosher Innovations in Israel. Oh, okay. And when we sold the business back to my partner, the distributorship went with it, and we had to decide, to, what are we going to do next? Right. And uh, my son-in-law was interested in real estate, and I said, let's set up a real estate agency, mm-hmm. which is what we did. We both got our licenses. We did that. And, you know, I, I always, in business, you need to have two partners. This is my, my recommendation. You really need to have two partners. Your first partner is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Second partner is somebody that's going to force you to Keep the schedule, get it done. You need, you know, you have to be, right. I need it anyway. A lot of people, it's very difficult to be totally self-motivated. Sure. Very difficult. When you have a partner, you're responsible. Your partner, you're responsible. Your partner's responsible to you. Said, but the first one you need is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Yeah. So I would uh, always, whatever business I'm doing, I'm trying to factor in a way, how am I going to push God's agenda forward? Right. <laughs> so I saw the future of Jewry in America being there in the trenches and we got to get the Jewish people back here. And for a lot of people to make Aliyah cold Turkey, like my wife, or even after a lot of visits, it's difficult. Right. And I understood if you can get people to get a foothold an investment, they're vested. That's going to be a first step to coming in. So we set up a real estate company to offer the opportunity for people in Chutzlaritz to invest in properties here, either That's for smart. move in or whatever. And we were doing that all over the country. Oh, wow. We sold in Beit Shemesh, in Yerushalayim, in Netanya, in Modi'in. I had a client that wanted to go to Tiveria, in that area, agricultural property. And uh, we went up there. I hadn't been there for 20 years. Hmm. I said, you know something? Something's happening up here. (laughs) So when we decided to sell our apartment in Beit Shemesh, where are we going to go? My wife and I are empty nesters. We can go wherever we want. Right. (laughs) We considered Modi'in. Uh, we considered Netanya, but in both those cases, it would have been trading up. We wanted to trade down if we could, or mm-hmm. at least sideways. And we got up to Tavaria. We found, uh, and, and in Tavaria, we were going to get two for, we could get a nicer apartment than we had, plus a second one to be able to rent out right. for an for income price. property for the same price as Ramat Beit sure. And then eventually we found a property up there that had the income on site. It was a three-story villa, three-story house, large property, Blainhara, and it had three vacation rental units on the main floor called Simmers in Israel. And uh, I looked at the numbers from the previous owner who was selling, and the numbers, meaning I would have spent the amount of money just to get the income. 
Right. So basically, I was getting a house for free. I was buying a business. Either I look, business. I was buying a business, getting a house for free, or buying a house and getting a business, business for free. free. Right. So my wife loved the house. We were in vacation land up there. Bleine Hayek family's growing. And from family, you know, you need to get a bigger house when you get sure. older as opposed to getting smaller. <laughs> and you want all the kids and the grandchildren to come. So right. we, uh, so thank God. So we've been up there and running it as uh as Zimmers, Villa Rimona. Uh, we cater to the Anglo crowd. And again, as an entrepreneur, I, I always try to encourage people to focus on a niche. Don't try to be everything to everybody. You can't. You can't right. compete to everybody, with everybody. So we focused on the English-speaking Shomer Shabbat crowd. And uh, we try to make it as comfortable for that crowd. Everything is in English. Our business cards have no Hebrew on them. Right. All of our promotional materials, no Hebrew on them. And uh, we produce uh, tour materials to help them know where can I go? How do I get there? Can I have coupons? And um, so that's what we did. Beautiful. So, so you have this business set up and now let's talk about olive oil. Right. Galilee Green. Galilee Green. Right. So let's talk how did that come about? What was and what is it? And what's your goals with it? So the idea is after spending so many years in Kiruv working as a rabbi, you yeah. don't have a lot of savings. I, <laughs> so there's a lot of catch up to play, you know, running a Zimmer business, it's a service industry and it's not scalable. Right. Unless you buy more properties and manage. And it's, it's not, you know, as a young person, maybe if I was 30, I might've considered such a thing. My age, you have to sit down and try to construct your business. So it's going to fit your needs. That's, right. that's my approach. So I said, okay, I want to have a, continuing income and ongoing income. And I had a certain number in mind. And I'm a believer in low tech. In high tech, the reason why I became a consultant is the technology changes so quickly. If you're tied to hardware or software, you know this business, uh, there's a very short life cycle. So that's, uh, as a consultant, I don't want to be tied to the technology. And I I believe in low tech businesses. And there's another reason why I believe in low tech business. I believe in creating value. Mm. And uh, just move pixels around on a screen, get people to pay me for some ideas. I mean, a Kaddish Baruch Hu put us here to change the world, right? Right. So if I can produce something, you know, people's lives are changed physically because of the kosher lamp. People's, I want to, I want to produce a product that's going to add value to the country. So the, I had the experience of helping some people pick some olives. We live, we live in the Shevet Naftali, the tribe of Naftali. Mm-hmm. The blessing for Naftali is the most amazing, luscious fruit, vegetables. This is the, this is the, the, out of all of the holy land, this is the holiest place to nurture food up there. Mm-hmm. And you just feel it. It's incredible. And I had the, the opportunity to pick olives and turn it into olive oil. Have my own olive oil it was the most incredible experience and nothing like I've ever tasted. It's really incredible. You have this idea of what you think olive oil is, but when you you have this fresh produced extra virgin olive oil from the fruits up there, there's nothing like it. So that was unbelievable. Now there, are, I have a neighbor, the Abrahams, also expatriates. Ariel? No, uh, Neely and Arnie, okay. also from Canada. Uh, they also had the same opera. They did the same experience independently, mm-hmm. and the community there can use some help financially. And we were always thinking, how can we help the community? 
the local population up there. Sure. And our first idea was to create a nonprofit organization around the olive oil, collect tzedakah, and use it to support the local cheder, Tom Shabbos, help out families for food for Shabbos. We did that for a year, logo, the whole thing, website, and it fell apart because of income tax reasons in terms of issuing tax receipts. It was very complicated to do it online. Interesting. Okay. So we had to shut down. Oh, wow. So, okay, but this idea is too good. So mm. what we said is, you know what? Let's just turn it into a for-profit all extra virgin olive oil business and we'll make the money and we'll give it the tzedakah out of our own money right I mean, you, you can do the same thing with a for-profit or a non-profit sure each one has its advantages well again just to be clear because you know Eretz Israel is known for its olives known for its olive oil olive oil was already you know exported it was already you already get it all over so so what you know it seems like that that you look for a niche but what was so? What was your niche? What made you think that? Hey, what are we doing differently, or what do you have that's different than what's else, what else was out there that you said? Hey, this is a business to go into. First off, we don't produce enough olive oil in Israel to satisfy the local needs. Really, there's not enough. We import olive oil. We import olive oil. We import olive oil. There's not enough. There's a wow. huge dearth of extra virgin olive oil in the world. The demand far outseats uh, is exceeding the supply. And that's why there's so much fraud going on. There's uh, 60 Minutes just did an episode recently about Italian olive oil fraud and how the mafia is involved in terms of cutting it and putting in different... It's not really extra virgin olive oil. So that's A. There isn't a lot of Israeli olive oil out there in the world. Really? There isn't. So our concept was to market olive oil to people who love and support Israel. Our primary market is not is not the Jewish community. Ninety percent are non-Jewish lovers and supporters of Israel. Mm. That's who. And what we decided to do is let's market to them. That's the niche, and we're going to give them not the olive oil, but the olive oil is the connection to the Jewish people who are back in the land. We Very want to nice. give them a personal connection the with story, the people, the, the land, the place. And uh, that's really what we're offering. We're offering this connection. Now, what happens is most people, they they create a website and then they have to figure out how are we going to monetize this. Right. You know all about that. Yeah. What we did is we figured out, okay, we're going to monetize. We know how to monetize. This is what we're monetizing. We have our monetization thing. It's going to be the olive oil. Now, let's build it with social networking. It's the reverse of what people are doing today. So we used social networking to build the business. We used the social networking to get advice on the colors to choose for the logo. Getting people involved. We got them involved from the very beginning. Making them feel that they're partners, that they're part of a movement, that they're part of something. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's how we've uh, built the company, slowly and steadily and surely. Meaning we we produce recipes on our website with Galley Green Olive Oil, showing people how to cook healthfully. And also Israeli recipes, they love it. They want to give me Israel. I want to have the experience. I want to know what it's like to live in Israel, what real people are like. We share them recipes recipes but you know what they get the olive oil they make their recipes they post their pictures they send it to us we put back up posts i send out divrei torah either mine or other people's and they comment on it it's it's this we they call it a family it's the galilee green family we're creating for them and we're their family in israel fantastic so you mentioned me before the interview that you don't you actually can't buy galilee green 
olive oil in Israel. Right. So I have to actually leave the country to buy <laughs> this oil from you. I mean, besides the gift you gave me. So thank you very much You're for that. You're welcome. And actually, uh, we're going to give away um, in our next uh, uh, giveaway, we're going to give away some of this Galilee green olive oil to some lucky winners. So look out for more information on that. Right. But um, so you can't buy it in Israel. And that was right. a marketing. That's a conscious decision. A, we can't compete in Israel. Mm-hmm. There, you go to the supermarket, how many brands of olive oil are there? And what right. are we going to compete on? There are good olive oils here. Right. So doesn't you can't compete with everybody. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So and then you have the VAT problem. Right. Because everything that we're selling is coming from orders from outside of Israel and being exported, we don't have to deal with VAT, mm-hmm. which keeps our pricing down. The second thing that we did is we using the subscription model, right? which had to do with my financial goals. I want to have a subscription. I don't want to have to go and resell every, every single, single time. Right. right? And that's what's happening in the computer industry. All the software sure. companies yeah. are going to that model, and we are decide- made a decision. We're going to use that model with a tangible product because that's how we're going to monetize with the tangible product. Fantastic. So people subscribe. And we ship out every 90 days mm-hmm. to our subscribers. They get their gift set with a free decanter. There's a beautiful glass decanter to put their olive oil in. And then we send out the refills each and every uh, 90, days, 90 days, which gives us lead time for surface mail shipping. Sure. See, if, if, I sell, if I sell on my website, I have to ship it out right away and I have to get it within two weeks. Otherwise, they're upset. Right. So I have to send it out express mail. It's expensive. Yep. If I sell a subscription model, I can time my shipping With and save a huge amount of money through Israel Post. Amazing. And that way we make it economical. So they can buy our subscription, let's say a triple subscription in America, and it comes landed in this beautiful gift box with a free gift inside. We send out a different kind of free gift each time. And beautiful. it's cheaper than if they bought their olive oil in a boutique, Californian boutique olive oil in a store in America. Wow. What a great story. What a, and very smart. And yet a subscription model is something that uh, is huge and a credible model to follow. And uh, it seems like you're doing like uh, some really amazing things with it. Um, and I guess, you know, people obviously love the product. They love and, it. Uh, and they love it. So let me ask you, okay, so that's, that's what you're, that's where, that's what you're doing now. And uh, do, you, do you think about bringing out other products that would sort of go with olive oil or maybe a different, like a garlic olive oil type thing or to come out with, uh, you know, just expand the line? Because as you said before, you know, just having the one, you know, if I know you, you know, just having that one, you know, kosher lamp right. is not a business. Right. So what, what's in the plans? Right. So the first step is you have to have your distri- distribution network. Mm-hmm. That's what we're building now. And we're not at the point critical mass where I'm comfortable introducing another product. You don't want to have lots of SKUs in your business. Right. It's, it I learned that like, in the apparel business. <laughs> there you go, right? Exactly. <laughs> you don't want to have a lot of SKUs. So you have to keep it simple. You have the product, build the base, and then you can feed the system. A challenge we have in this distribution network is the pricing and the cost of shipping. So you have to have a product that has a big enough margin in it Right. In order to be able to fit our model. And there aren't that many mm-hmm. uh, consumables. So we have some ideas. God willing, they're in the plans. But in the meantime, we don't really need it right now. Mm-hmm. So we're staying focused on the one brand and flavor of olive oil. And just, I don't know if I asked before, but you own the olive trees or you're buying the olives? You're buying, like, how does that work? Right. So we're private branding. We're okay. doing it with Daganya, Kibbutz Daganya. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the olive press. That's where we did it originally. And we worked out an arrangement with them that they, again, 
when you're starting up a business, you have to keep your costs. Yeah, no, no, it's very smart. That's what in our last episode with uh, Daniel Geffen, we talked about that set, you know, outsourcing the hardest part so that you could focus on the sales right. and the marketing. Right. Because Especially when you're in the food business, Misrata Briut, Ministry oh, of yeah. Health. Right. Kashras. Misrata Briut, the, the Hechsherim. Right. It's huge overhead. So if I can joint venture with somebody who's already paying for it and they're going to private brand for me, my product, right. it's much smarter. And as you scale up, we, we wouldn't be able to do it. So we we made it. We have a beautiful relationship with them. Brilliant. They've been very helpful. They believe in us. And we're basically marketing their oil to chutzlarts, which they're not able to do. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, Shmuel, this has been absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk here. The whole, uh, you know, the beginnings of the uh, Shabbos lamp. I, I think that's fantastic. Never knew, knew that before. And there's so many great business lessons here. Uh, a lot of Ashkacha Pratis. And over the years. So, you know, thank you again for, for, for joining me on the show. And I look forward to continued Hatzlacha. Uh, and we're going to, you know, we're going to send out the, the, these links to everybody. Everybody can check the show notes and we'll show you pictures. We'll send you links. And uh, again, look out for the uh, being able to win some of this uh, olive oil. And again, thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with Nahum Kligman. We hope you learned something valuable and will share this with your friends. For show notes, archives of previous episodes, and more information to help you start and grow your business, please visit our website, www.fromentrepreneur.com. Listen, learn, be Masliach.